welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. Fast Talk is sponsored by Quark, maker of next generation power meters, including the SRAM Red D0 power meter. Built specifically for SRAM's groundbreaking red group set, the SRAM Red D0 power meter is compatible with all of SRAM's red group sets. Find out more at quark.com forward slash D0. Remember, when you are going hard, the gut doesn't work as well, and you don't want to be drawing fluid out of your blood. So really, I'm going to keep saying this, the best products are the ones that are simplest and have just what you need, which is some sugars in a good ratio of glucose to fructose and some electrolytes and not tons of electrolytes. Anything beyond that, probably not going to help your performance. It's going to put a greater strain on your gut and it might put a greater strain on the osmotic pressure. Why would you want to do that to yourself? Welcome back, dear listeners, to another episode of Fast Talk. I'm Kaylee Fritz. Senior editor here at News, sitting across the table, as always, from our favorite coach, Trevor Connor. How are you, Trevor? It's our last day of a week of podcast recording. I'm doing great, really. <laughs> Trevor's doing? a little bit grumpy. He's been made even more grumpy by some of the things that are sitting on the table in front of us, uh, which you will learn about soon. We also have Dan Cavallari here today, our tech editor. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well, Kaylee. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're very welcome. So today we're going to... We're going to hit on the uh, hot button topic once again of nutrition. Uh, we had we had an episode about nutrition with Dr. Golia uh, a little while ago. There were some people that emailed in to tell us that they didn't uh, necessarily appreciate some of the science in that episode. Uh, you may have heard a, a brief mention at the beginning that, that we were not totally confident in some of the science in that episode. Regardless, we're going to hit on nutrition again. This time it's just going to be myself, Trevor, and Dan. Just a bit of background here. So Trevor has a degree in nutrition uh, among a couple degrees that he has from Colorado State University. Dan does not have a de- degree in nutrition. He is a, a top-notch eater of food, though. Uh, knows all about what's edible, thanks, what's thanks, not edible. Thanks, Grammy. Yeah. Uh, studied both eating and drinking at the University of Italian Americans. Yes. I'm a pro, <laughs> well, well, you are trying to get your Italian citizenship. Isn't there a food component I'm, to that? I'm trying to get my, my weight up to an acceptable Italian-American level. Uh, <laughs> so I got about 30 pounds to go. <laughs> I think to get your Italian citizenship, it's kind of like a sommelier test, but for pasta, right? Yeah, they don't ask for any birth or death certificates. They just they put a plate of Italian food. And you have to be able to identify you. various shapes of pasta yes. and things like that. Yeah, and then you yeah. have to eat all of it. <laughs> <laughs> then you have to have an Italian grandmother say, why are you so thin? <laughs> uh, my grandma does that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the goal of today's podcast is to take a look at the difference between food and fuel and to cut through some of the jargon that surrounds, well, that surrounds on-bike or athletic nutrition. <clears throat> so part of the reason why Trevor is a little bit grumpy this morning, beyond the fact that we've made a whole bunch of podcasts this week and it's, it's currently quite early – is that he was sitting before the podcast began, before our recording began, uh, reading the back of uh, many of the available on-bike nutrition products that, that Dan has, has thoughtfully brought in and splayed out on the table in front of us. And he was generally not pleased with what he was seeing. My. There are definitely some great products out there. There are definitely some less great products out there. Our goal today is less to talk about which ones specifically are good and bad and more just to explain to you what you should be looking for within your on-bike nutrition. My favorite is the one that has researched with an asterisk and then doesn't explain the asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this, this is very much in Trevor's wheelhouse and so Trevor is going to be we're going to be leaning on Trevor for the science side today, and then Dan and I have have eaten most of these things, and we can tell you whether a lot of them are actually uh, edible, which is also important <laughs> because the food that you eat on the bike has to be somewhat edible. Anyway, let's start with our our big question, which is the difference between food and fuel. Dan? We're cutting straight to the guy who doesn't have the nutrition degree, so I'm going to give this to you in my my very uh, unqualified definition, which to me, fuel is something that you want for short-term consumption. It's going to give you that little kick on the bike. 
food is something you eat when you're, you know, sitting at the table. It's long-term sustenance. It's, it's healthy. It's what your body needs to, to stay healthy over time. Fuel, think of fuel as basically the, the turbo boost. That's why the primary ingredient in most of this stuff is sugar. And we're going to be talking a lot about sugar today. So when you think fuel, yes, of course, food is fuel, but we're using it in the sense of that short-term boost your body needs to keep going in the race or going in, in, in on the ride. It's kind of like how all puppies are dogs, but not all dogs are puppies. Right. In that all, well, all food is technically fuel, but not all of these products are necessarily qualify as food, food right, right. <laughs> yeah. I guess but you would actually want to eat anytime when you're not exercising you right? don't want to be eating any of this stuff if you're not on the bike let's just <laughs> let's just clarify right up front i mean we do do that sometimes sometimes i'm really hungry i miss lunch i just walk over to dan's desk and yeah. steal some some shop blocks and yeah. then i immediately get sort of this weird sugar-induced head rush right. because i i'm just sitting at my desk yeah. trying to eat basically candy right? let, me, let me give you the disclaimer my dad always gives me which is do as i say not as i do <laughs> uh, we're not exactly paragons of, of model behavior let's turn to trevor since trevor actually knows what he's talking about and dan and i don't trevor when i talk with my athletes about nutrition i really divide the day into two parts so there is the starting about an hour before you exercise until about an hour after you exercise. And I'm not talking you're going out for an, an easy hour recovery ride. That You don't need special nutrition for that. I'm talking about a race or a good long hard ride or, or intervals or training race, things like that. The one part of the day is that hour before to that hour after. And then there's the rest of the day. In that exercise window, you are eating for performance. You are eating to prevent fatigue. It is, it is all about what's going to keep you functioning on the bike. The rest of the day is about eating for health. And they're quite distinct, and I'm going to give very different recommendations. There is a physiological basis behind this. And Kayla, you just touched on it when you said, well, uh, you know, if I'm really hungry and there's some cliff blocks or whatever lying around, I'll eat those and I get this big sugar rush. Our bodies try to very tightly control or regulate sugar. We need to maintain a certain level of, of blood sugar. If it drops too far, that's when you start going dizzy. That's when you pass out. And if it's really bad, you can die from it. Our brains normally function purely on sugar. So they need it. For, your brain needs it first. So we have this thing called insulin that regulates our sugar levels. And what happens is most of the cells in our body cannot absorb sugar without insulin. I'm going to throw out my one technical term for the day. We have what are called GLUT4 transporters. Uh, they exist in most of your cells. Insulin causes those transporters to come to the surface of the cells, and then those transporters are what take the sugar from the blood, pull it into the cells. When those transporters aren't at the surface, we can't absorb sugar. Insulin causes them, as I said, causes them to come to the surface. Really interesting thing about exercise is as soon as you start exercising, our bodies shut off the insulin response and the exercising muscles naturally send the GLUT4 transporters to the surface of the cell. So exercise allows cells, just the, the exercising cells, to take up sugar. This is really important for diabetics. It's why they recommend exercise for diabetics because since they either don't produce insulin or, or they're insensitive to insulin, it's a way for them to control blood sugar levels uh, without the, the benefits of, of the insulin system. Hmm. So that's a very long way of saying how our bodies respond to sugar is fundamentally different during exercise than it is during rest. So that's the scientific version of what Dan and I were saying, which is that food and, and on-bike fuel are maybe two different things. I said it better. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so we've basically established that there there's two different ways you should be eating. You should be eating a different way on the bike and off. So let's start with on the bike because, you know, we the main ingredient in all these products, as I said, is sugar. and we read in the news all the time that we're in this public health crisis where we're consuming far too much sugar. Why wouldn't that be a concern on the bike? You know, what is the difference? Are there different types of sugars in these products that make one better than the other? 
Well, so it goes back to what I was saying before. It's spiking of insulin that's causing a lot of our health issues. And there's a, a ton of research that I won't dig too deeply in showing that if you are constantly spiking your insulin levels, A, that leads to, to metabolic syndrome, that leads to diabetes, it can lead to other conditions. So you want to regulate your insulin levels for health. But as soon as you are exercising, insulin doesn't get released. So those negative health effects of sugar essentially disappear during exercise. So we get a little bit of a free pass when we're exercising to consume sh sugar that you shouldn't really be consuming off the bike. Right. It's not a 100% free pass, and I don't want to get too deep into the science, but also consuming a lot of sugar has immunological effects on your body that, that can also lead to to issues. But for the most part, let's simplify it and say, when you are exercising, most of the negative effects of sugar disappear. Okay. So that aside, so that now that we've kind of got that clarified, let's talk about uh, the various products and not even limit it to just products. We can, we can talk a little bit about food because there are different types of sugars. So on the table, you guys can't really see this obviously, but in front of me right now, I have several types of energy products and i think including some chocolate <laughs> including some chocolate yes uh and i also have some dates and some dried mangoes uh, we have an energy drink we've got all sorts of stuff on the table right here and everybody is marketing that their product is going to give you that boost in a way that no other product can so how do we determine what's good sugar and what's bad? Are they all using the same thing or are they using different things? Well, and beyond sugars, what else are we looking and for? And what else is in the product? I think, yeah. Trevor, we're going to turn back to you on this. What are, what, are the, what are the things that consumers should be looking for? If you read the back of some of these nutrition labels, <laughs> what should be on those labels in terms of a good ride food? And my question back to you being early in the morning is how grouchy am I allowed to be? He's you been can staring be... at this this can right here the whole time. He's, <laughs> oh, he's just loathing. loathing. <laughs> you can be quite grouchy. Yeah. We don't mind. Yeah. We don't mind at all. Oh, we, we will get to that can. <laughs> we will get to that can. <laughs> Let's start with the positive. What are we yeah. looking for? What's right. good? Who's doing, who's doing it well? Let's start just with the sugars. We've talked about that. We can get to the other ingredients in a minute, but let's just start with the sugars because that's one of the main things that you're trying to get with these products is just simply that fuel. You're going to hear all sorts of different things about different types of sugars and different types of mixes. A lot of it is really marketing. The important thing to know is that basically once it's in your body and broken down, there are two types of sugars. There is glucose and there is fructose. Inside your gut, they have to be transported into your body. They can't just passively go from your gut to your bloodstream. As a matter of fact, fructose doesn't go through your bloodstream, but I'll, I'll save that for another time. The transporters in our guts, so there's, I believe it's GLUT5 and SGT1. One transports glucose, the other transports fructose. We can transport, depending on the individual, about 60 to 90 grams of glucose per hour and only about 20 to 30 grams of fructose per hour. So ultimately, what you are looking for is a, a large amount of glucose. Uh, so you want to get at least that 60 to 90 grams of glucose per hour and then a little bit of fructose because it has a different transporter so you can increase the amount of sugar you're getting per hour. When you start reading about maltodextrin and all these other sugars, they are all basically just some form of either straight glucose as, as a polymer or a combination of glucose and fructose. What if, what if I just want to take a, a, a thing of Twizzlers with me on the ride? Is the sugar different in that? No, and that's what I do. Actually, I like Swedish fish. Okay. So, and when I'm on like, we we talked about this this weekend because everybody laughed. Uh, we were we were on that uh, a long ride up in the mountains, and being the nutritionist, being the science guy, I, I think everybody was watching to see what I pulled out of my pocket. And I pull out this giant bag of Swedish fish, and one of the guys commented on it. He's like, "Will you eat those?" And I go, "Yeah." You, you know what the difference between this and and half of the other products out there is? And he goes, "Good marketing." I went, "Yeah," and about two bucks. <laughs> That being said, there are slight differences. Uh, a lot of the candy on the shelves has a lot more fructose than glucose. And like I said, you really want that ratio of, say, about three to one glucose to fructose. And the candy on the shelves isn't quite the right ratio. So it's not as good. 
I'm from Canada. Glucose is our primary sugar up there. So Canadian candy actually is pretty close to being as good. Hmm. Hmm. Is that the same as uh, – okay, so let, let's think back to right after – it's Peter Sagan won Kern Brussels Kern. <laughs> his hailed and he his uh his his swanier walked up and literally just poured a pile of European Haribos and European Haribos are different than American Haribos. And I think I think I'm right in saying that it's more glucose and less fructose, just like in Canada. Poured a a bucket of Haribos into Peter Sagan's hand and Peter Sagan then proceeded to stick all of them in his mouth <laughs> and eat an entire bag of Haribos in one in one shot. Is that sort of what you're you're talking about here is essentially if you can find a candy with a similar ratio of glucose to fructose then you're 90% of the way there with most of these uh expensive on bike nutrition things. So, I'm going to have to go into hiding from all these companies. <laughs> all these products we're seeing on the table with a bit of a qualifier. Yeah. I think it's just, it's for the most part just as good. There there are and we'll get into these. There are little things that make these products better. And so I will admit, I'm in a race. Yeah, I like Cliff Blocks. They sit well with me, and they're a little better than candy. I'm out on a training ride. No, I'm eating my Swedish Fish or whatever. And actually, I'll, I will walk into a store. I will look at the different types of candy. And I will look for glucose to be the primary ingredient. If I see that, then great. Hmm. Pro tip. Go to the candy store, look for candy with glucose as the primary ingredient, call it a day. <laughs> Save yourself a bunch of money. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, we uh, we do. We work we work for our listeners. We do not work for the nutrition industry. Uh, I think that's actually a pretty good tip. And I'm, I'm exactly the same way. I, I, I actually buy these like – like house brand Twizzlers from a local grocery store here in town. And that is, that's one of my primary ride foods. I also just tend to like stop and eat pie halfway mm. through my rides, mm -hmm. which is the other way to do it. But, uh, I, yeah, uh, it's, it's significantly cheaper than going through a whole lot of, of something like a cliff block or, you know, those glucose blocks, which are actually really tasty and they work really well, but it just saves you a bit of cash. I, I am actually an advocate of, of gels because, you know, you don't really find these. <clears throat> too often in candy form in the grocery store. So these are kind of a specialty item. And what I like about them is that it's easy to eat um, the ride. goes down quick. I don't have to think about it. I'm not, I'm not looking for a snack. You know, I'm not looking to enjoy the process of, of eating. I just want some quick fuel. So the gels to me are, are a little bit set apart from the rest of these products because of the convenient delivery. Uh, that might just be you know, a preference thing. I don't know if there's any science behind it absorbing any quicker or anything like that. But just from a pure convenience standpoint, I do like the gels. Yeah, I often used to race with gels, but you you could not pay me enough to have one of those things in training except for to make sure that my stomach can handle it. Right. <laughs> That's the only reason I would ever have one in training because they're kind of gross. Trevor, what else What else should we be looking for? So so there is another side to the science that, that's really important to know about, or, or two sides of the science that are really important to know about. One is osmotic pressure, and I will try to give you a simple explanation for this. If you take a, a – you fill a bucket with water, and then you start adding things to it, like electrolytes. You start adding sugars to it. It's going to have a concentration of these solutes. The higher the concentration, the higher its osmotic pressure. But what's important, and you can do this experiment, if you take two buckets, one filled with seawater, one filled with, with natural water with, with no salt in it, and then you connect a, a tube between them, and then you go away. When you come back, they're going to end up having about equal concentration of the sodium. So that's called a concentration gradient where one fluid has a higher osmotic pressure than the other. This is incredibly important in our body. If there wasn't this concentration gradient effect, we would all die because it drives most of the processes in our body, including how our neurons work. And, and I'm not going to geek out on you. Why that is important is because your gut is filled with fluid. Your blood is a fluid. You want to drive the water and those solutes into your blood. Water I should have taken a step back and said this before. Water is called the great follower. Water is going to follow 
the osmotic pressure, it's going to follow the solute. So it's not going to be a case where, ooh, you got all these solutes in your gut, so we're going to pull them into the blood. That'll happen slowly. If the fluid in your gut has a higher osmotic pressure, you're going to have the opposite effect. You are actually going to pull, you're going to pull fluid from your blood into your gut to reduce the osmotic pressure. And so people complain about this. If you're, you're on a ride and you eat a ton of, uh, of candy or you take a, a huge thing of gels, some people will later complain of bloating. Say, you know, this, this really bloats me. It makes me feel bad. Well, that's exactly what's happening. You suddenly have this really concentrated fluid in your gut and you're going to draw fluid out of your blood to dilute it and that's going to dehydrate you and it's going to swell up your gut. We don't want that. Hmm. So what that means in terms of a product, if you have a product that's heavily concentrated, you can run into to problems. It's going to increase the osmotic pressure in your gut and then fluid is going to be pulled into your gut to, to bring down the concentration. So you will see a lot of sports drinks now are actually reducing the carbohydrate content and reducing the electrolyte content uh, so that you don't get that bloating. Hmm. One of the issues with gels is because they can dissolve so rapidly in fluid, they often hit, give your gut this huge osmotic hit and cause bloating. And I always heard it was a good idea if you are going to take a a goo of some sort that you drink a bunch of water at the same time. <laughs> exactly. This one here says no need for water. It says it right on the package. Well, that's because they – if you go to their – so this is – should we mention? Yeah, let's yeah. talk about it. So this is the science and sport. And I'm not on their website, but if I remember correctly, they're very sensitive to the osmotic pressure and they've kept – that gel pretty close to the osmotic pressure of our, our blood. And it does have an interesting texture. You can, you can tell that this is different from other gels just by, by, by tasting it. A little more liquid. It's, it's for, yeah, it's, it's definitely a liquidy taste and texture. And I actually, I, I've started to really prefer this one over other gels that tend to stick to your mouth and get that really peanut buttery honey kind of feel. Uh, this goes down easier, easier. Um, and I don't know if that, has to do with the balance of, I mean, is there just more water in this than others? Is that yes. how they do this? That's, if you open that up, it, it's pretty liquidy. Right, right. And glucose is, is sort of similar. Glucose is G-L-U-K-O-S, has a gel, and it's also very, very liquidy, almost to the point where it, it's like a drink. Admittedly, this podcast is a little more off the cuff than I normally do, so I decided to go back to an interview I did four years ago with Dr. Stacy Sims. She is arguably one of the top experts in the world in sports hydration. She's one of the minds behind Scratch Nutrition, and she's the creator of Osmo Nutrition, scientifically two of the best sports drinks on the market. While their interview was about hydration, she had a lot to say about sugars during exercise. And if you thought I was hesitant about fructose, wait until you hear her opinion. Frankly, it's a lot more informed than my early morning grouchiness. So the type of carbohydrate will have an impact if you're having something that's glucose and and sucrose-based. that helps with the glucose-sodium passive transport of fluid in the intestines. But if you're using maltodextrin or fructose, which are your traditional sports drinks and sport nutrition, it might exit the stomach quickly with low osmolality, but when it gets to the intestines itself, it changes the osmotic pressure in the uh, first part of the small intestines, which does a reverse water flux. So this is another indication of people are using a lot of gels and and drinks and things with maltodextrin, they start getting a little bit of, of bloating and discomfort. It's the uh, reverse water flux in the small intestines. They might not have this sloshing or GI distress in the stomach because things have exited, but when it gets into the small intestines and you have this reverse water flux, this is another contributor to um, some of the post-race gas and, and right. discomfort that people have. And so how come it's doing that? It's just increasing the osmotic pressure that much? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it's, if you're having, like, I get this question all the time that Osmo has glucose and sucrose. And if you cleave a sucrose molecule, then you get glucose and fructose. And I'm always telling people, don't use fructose, don't use fructose. Because your body rate limits things. So if you cleave the sucrose molecule, the glucose gets used in the intestines with the sodium and gets, uh, in that, that sodium glucose transport chain and pulls water across. 
And the fructose is such a small amount that it actually does go through the hepatic portal vein to delivering its process. If you're using something that's maltodextrin and fructose, you end up with a, quote, fructose dump, where all of a sudden you have so much fructose your body can't titrate it out fast enough through that hepatic portal vein. So it pulls water in to kind of dilute it and hold it until your body can get rid of it. And maltodextrin is very similar in the fact that your body doesn't recognize it as part of the feedback system or the mechanism of action of water uptake. And it pulls water in, increases the oncotic pressure in the small intestines. And when you have an increased oncotic pressure, you have more water that comes in. So it it pulls things across like a magnet. And these are things that people don't talk about when they're like, oh, well, if you have something that has a lot of maltodextrin, then it's low osmolality. It's not just osmolality. It's what it does in the small intestines where all the water uptake takes place. I kind of classify these products into two different types, and this is where I'm not going to use names, except I will mention this with glucose, because I think that's a decent product, at least from a scientific standpoint. There are products out there where they have really read the science, and and they only put in there what has been proven to be performance-enhancing. They're aware of osmotic pressure. They're aware of these various issues, and, and they're pretty minimal products just to give you what you need to keep you going during the activity. Then there are other products where I call them marketing ingredients. They throw in a whole bunch of stuff to try to differentiate their product based on some iffy science saying this is somehow going to help your performance. Really all I see is a whole bunch of stuff in there that's going to increase osmotic pressure, that's going to put greater work on your gut and give you no gains whatsoever. As a matter of fact, it could potentially dehydrate you if it starts pulling fluid into your gut. The other side of the science I was going to bring up is there's an expression that I'm going to alter slightly that you have a gut and a brain and not enough blood to power both, (laughs) Um, or at least exercising muscles. If I had to choose, I choose my gut every time, (laughs) every single time. So again, you have to think of, we were not designed for exercise, we were designed for hunting and gathering. And when we are running or working really hard, our bodies think we are running away from a very big lion right now. And it's not too concerned about whether we're able to digest. (laughs) So it is going to shunt blood away from your gut to your working muscles to give you the best chance of not being dinner uh, as opposed to digesting dinner. So when you are exercising, when you are out on the bike, especially as you go longer into a race, especially on a hot day, your gut's going to start shutting down. It's not going to be as effective. So you don't want to eat these products that are going to put this huge demand on your gut to be able to digest what you just took. You really want something quite simple. And actually, if you read a lot of the the sports and nutrition research, they will say, as you get later into races and your gut starts shutting down, you should just be drinking water. So the other big ingredient we always see on these packages, and if you look what I just did in front of me, I, I took my thermos full of coffee and I stacked it with some gels that are both blaring with so 32 milligrams of caffeine. I made a big caffeine tower in front of me right here. Uh, Trevor, is there is there benefits to having caffeine in these products? Do you need the caffeine? And what's what's the goal behind including caffeine in some of these products? So I remember a while ago, and I'm sure it's been updated since, um, I read a really good review on all the performance-enhancing but legal products, and their conclusion was there are only three things that have been proven to be definitively performance-enhancing and a fourth that is conditionally performance-enhancing. Number one on the list, caffeine. Number two was creatine, but that's more for strength athletes. Number three was sodium bicarbonate, but that only really helps you for events that are under 10 minutes. The fourth that I add to the list, which we should probably talk about at another time, is L-glutamine, which is an amino acid that it's the highest quantity amino acid in your body. It is also the primary fuel of your gut, the only fuel of your immune system. And when you are exercising and going really hard, you tend to deplete your L-glutamine because you will use it as fuel once your blood sugar levels start to deplete, which is another reason on a really long, hard ride, 
your gut's going to start uh, shutting down and why your immune system's not going to function as well. So getting some L-glutamine can really help you, especially in recovery. Is that why I got a cold on Monday? It must be. He's not <laughs> sure. a doctor. <laughs> sure. But yes. We went ca- for a big ride on Saturday and then I got a cold on Monday. Damn it. <laughs> Caffeine is performance enhancing. I used to love the days when we discovered this and everybody got big on the, the caffeine pills and they were taking these thousand milligram pills. And you'd line up at the start of the race, and you'd just see this guy beside you who was all jittery, <laughs> looking around. You just go, "Hey, buddy, how you doing?" And you'd be like, "What? What? What do you want?" <laughs> Fortunately, they've since shown that up to 200 milligrams is performance enhancing. Beyond that, you get jittery, but it's not going to help your performance anymore. So it is. There is a legit claim yes. to including this stuff in these products. It's it's actually yep. can help you. Well, that's good news because uh, I wasn't going to give it up. <laughs> All right, time for a quick break. Fast Talk is sponsored by Quark, maker of next-generation power meters, including the SRAM XX1 Eagle Power Meter. The XX1 Power Meter unites Quark's D0 platform with carbon-tuned crank arms for robust, intuitive power measurement in the lightest-ever mountain bike chassis. It's compatible with all of SRAM's 1X mountain bike drivetrains. Find out more at quark.com d0. What else are we looking at, Trevor? Like, what other things should we be keeping an eye out for that are positive attributes of an on-bike nutrition product? Oh, oh you're moving that that thing towards so we're me. Not, we're not. We're not into negative I'm, attributes I'm yet. I'm taunting we're not Trevor. Into ne- negative attributes. <laughs> we're not done today until we talk about it. There is a can. There's a can in front of Trevor right now that Trevor hates that we're going to talk about later. But oh, I still want to talk about good stuff. Like, yes. let's talk about like electrolytes. Everyone's right. always talking about electrolytes, particularly with with drink mixes. I think even more so than than these solid foods that we've mostly been talking about so far. You know, what exactly should people be be seeking in terms of their electrolyte products? Here's a couple examples right. if you want to look at a couple. Here. Yeah, we've got stuff like Noon. We've got you know, Glucose has its own tablets. We've got what else is over this there? It's called Isogenics. Right. Isogenics uh, amped something. So this is where when I say that candy isn't quite as good, this is, this is one of the places I'm talking about. There is benefits to having electrolytes. When we're talking about exercise, you do need to keep your sodium and potassium levels up. It's just not as much as you think. For one thing, if it has that huge levels of sodium and potassium, it goes back to the osmotic pressure issue you're going to increase the osmotic pressure in your gut and you're going to draw fluid out of your bloodstream. You don't want that. The other thing is the way you lose sodium potassium is in sweat. Sweat is hypoosmotic, meaning it has a lower concentration than your blood. So you don't need to replenish a lot. Worse, because you're losing more fluid in your sweat than sodium and potassium, your blood is going to become more concentrated. Its osmotic pressure is going to go up. So you need to replace proportionally more water than sodium and potassium. And there are a lot of products out there that ignore that. They get into that philosophy of more is better, so we've got twice as much sodium as the other product. You want us. Yeah. It's like how much can we get in there without it tasting gross, basically. Right. Yeah. And that is not the way to go. Other thing to be aware of is you lose a lot more sodium than potassium because sodium exists primarily in your blood. Potassium exists primarily in your cells. So you don't sweat out a lot. So that's why when you are exercising, you want a lot more sodium than you want potassium. Osmotic pressure is actually a very complex subject, and I was really just giving you the basics. This is Dr. Sims' wheelhouse. So let's hear what she has to say about the effects of electrolytes. So why, with, for example, the sodium, um, why not just take a ton? Uh, Because sodium is in different compounds. So most people associate sodium with sodium chloride, and uh, they think about um, table salt and that kind of stuff. If you take too much sodium chloride, the chloride ion disassociates in the intestines and changes the membrane potential, allows intestinal cells to open up, releasing endotoxins, and this can contribute to an increase in core temperature rise because it's a toxin, and also contribute to GI distress and 
reduces the integrity of the contractile mechanism of the intestine. The other aspect of taking in too much sodium is with water, there's sodium. So if you're ingesting too much sodium, then water is going to come to the sodium that's in the digestive tract. So it's a fine balance. And this is where a lot of triathletes kind of, uh, and to some extent, uh, age group cyclists go awry when they start taking salt tablets. One, they're taking sodium chloride, and two, they're taking a high dose of sodium chloride. When you start, um, you know, people are trying to take one to three grams of sodium to match sweat losses, and they start doing that, it's way too much. So the upper end that you should take per hour as a heavy sweater would probably be a thousand milligrams. Can I ask? I want to ask a question mm-hmm. that I think ha- had never really occurred to me uh, as a cyclist because you, from the time that I've started, you know, cycling in any competitive fashion or even just doing long rides, there have been these products. So it never occurred to me to ask the logical question, which is, do we really? need these or is the optimal fuel in food that already exists you know i've got i've got dried mangoes here i've got dates there's there's real food that acts can act as fuel are they any better or worse than these products that we we consume that are simple sugars can i try to answer this one please and then trevor can tell me if i'm right so kayla you're wrong (laughs) so no no, i've been learning i've been learning today so (laughs) Based on based on what Trevor was telling us earlier about glucose and fructose, I'm going to take a stab at this one and say that a lot of those fruit items that you're talking about, fruit is fructose, correct, are not going to have that optimal ratio of glucose to fructose because they are fruit, and so they will have more fructose than glucose. That's my guess. Wait, am be- I right? Before you answer, before you, uh, I have a further conjecture okay. that the digestion of these might be a little bit more difficult while you're riding because of the the pulp and the uh, the skins and things like that. The fiber. The fiber, yes. That's fiber the is good for you. For. <laughs> is it good for you on the bike, though? Is Probably the not. Trevor, are we, are we right? So different fruits will have different ratios of glucose to fructose, so definitely be aware of that. I will tell you, even though I, I love the story of uh, Sagan eating candy at the end of a race, and I've certainly done that myself, my go-to food at the end of a race is dried fruit. Dried fruit is just candy with vitamins and minerals in it, essentially. But you're spot on about the digestion. As we were saying, when you're exercising... (laughs) In your face, Fretz! Yes! (laughs) Dan's got his hands up in the air like he just won a bike race. (laughs) I'm smart. (laughs) Your, Your gut starts shutting down. It just doesn't absorb as well. So what you don't want to do is be putting complex foods into your your, your system. Uh, a lot of the science, uh, the the new, um, sports nutrition research basically says, yeah, at the beginning of a race, you can eat things that are more complex. Eat your bars. You can have some dried fruit because your gut's still working well. As you get further and further into the race, and it gets more and more intense. You just want to be doing simpler and simpler and simpler products and. Again, the, the, these product companies aren't going to like me saying this. There's a lot of research showing that at the end of a race, water, just straight water, is the best thing you should be taking. Likewise. How do you get enough calories in then? Well, or are you, I'm are, talking are you about you at the anyway. end of the race. <laughs> yeah. When you're getting into the last hour of a race, you're not cons- the, the high dehydration issues are going to be the bigger issue. Trying to get calories into your system 30 minutes before the end, you're not really going to be able to use them before the end of the race anyway. So it's just a triage situation. It's a triage situation, yeah. but you want to keep yourself hydrated, and you're you're probably going to just absorb the straight water better. Remember what I said before is that sweat is proportionally more fluid, so your blood is getting more is getting hyperosmotic. It's getting more and more concentrated. So you want just straight fluid to get the osmotic pressure of your blood down. There Likewise, on a, a short ride, anything under an hour, you don't need anything besides water. Yeah, I, I tend to try to go at least two without water. That's some lazy, though. And that, and that <laughs> brings, Not without water, without anything but water. That brings up a pretty important point about food versus fuel because – I know, and I won't name names because uh, it would be embarrassing for these people, I hope, uh, if I name their names. Uh, Is it me? Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't really need a lot of this stuff if your ride is going to be short. 
I know a lot of people who they will not go for a ride without first popping a gel. And it's like, you, you just don't need it. That's and definitely not me. No, it's not you. <laughs> uh, I was kidding. Uh, but at that point, really all you're doing is messing up your teeth. You know, <laughs> you're just, you're just coating your, your teeth with, with sugar for no reason. It's important to note that these products really only are beneficial to you if you're going to be doing a hard effort, a long race, a long ride, you know, for short lunch rides, you, you don't even need this stuff. Am I right? Right. Yes. Exactly. Right. Or, I mean, it, you know, if you are going to, if you do want to bring some food, then, then go the cheap, like, candy or Twizzler route and have sure. some 45 minutes in. You know, there's really no point in spending. I mean, this pile of stuff on the table here. Yes, they work really well. Yes, if you want to optimize your performance in a race, you should be looking at products like this. They are also like... It's about $30 worth of product. Yeah, it's like a dollar or two per item, which when you add them up over the course of a season, you're talking about a huge chunk of of change there. Personally, I'm I'm sticking with my Twizzlers (laughs) for for most of my bike rides. And I will note too, cyclists, we need to brush our teeth more than most people do. Uh, And that's, that's a legitimate concerned i actually was talking to a dentist on a ride not too long a couple months ago and it was right around the time that that whole thing about flossing became a controversy like oh you don't need to floss anymore he said yeah, he's like yeah try try that see how that works out for you <laughs> uh, but he said he made a good point he said we consume so many of these sugary products that people forget that that is just attacking your teeth mm-hmm. so we need to we need to brush our teeth more often than most perhaps right i want to move this discussion into this little can of doom that is sitting in front of Trevor right now. So we wanted to talk about things that you should avoid. Doom can. And we, you know, we, we, uh, I will say right now that the maker of this can is not going to like us after this discussion. And I am totally okay with that. <laughs> we are not bought and sold here at Valenews. We have a distinct ad edit wall. And so... I apologize to our sales guys, <laughs> but we're going to talk about this anyway. What should you avoid? And we, we touched on this already, actually, Trevor, because you were talking about, you know, the, the companies that just sort of pack their food or drink full of as many sort of hot marketing ingredients as they can. That's definitely something to avoid. But what are those those hot marketing ingredients that, that are, are not actually going to be beneficial to you? I would say as a general guideline to start with, if you start seeing all these dramatic claims on these products, uh, you know, where they're using tons of words like giving you the fuel you need and power you for your ride and that sort of stuff, be cautious. At least go to their website and see if there's actually any science behind what they're saying because that, that's just a big marketing uh, sign for me. <laughs> I just you guys want to see you want to see Trevor flip out. Hold on, hold on. Are you gonna chug this whole thing? Oh no, it's coming oh, down. Here we go. Oh, oh, Dan is gonna be that was regrettable. <laughs> <laughs> so this Here, can swig, this Kaylee. can is roughly you know I think that they're trying to go after. We should say it's called Red Power Twenty Elixir is what I have, and the one that that Trevor has is the. Uh, the one that Trevor has is the Power Elixir. Um, this is a company owned by Michael Ball of Rock Racing fame. And a box showed up here at the office uh, maybe a month and a half ago or something like that. And it actually doesn't taste that bad. It, You know, I, I would put it in a similar category as like a Oops. Red Bull or Monster Energy or something like that. Where they, you know, they do have a lot of claims on the front of this thing. There's a, uh, it has red algae in it. I think that's where the name comes from. Trevor, perhaps we can have a brief discussion of, of whether red algae is uh I spent you. 15 minutes before this podcast trying to find anything on red algae. <laughs> <laughs> I once spilled some sushi in my water. <laughs> the only thing I can think is that certainly in the nutrition world, there's a, a love of, of seaweed and, and algae because they tend to be very nutrient-packed. Mm. Um, uh, the best I can come up with, and like I said, I only had 15 minutes to look. I couldn't really find anything on their website, it is that it's like a lot of seaweed and algae products. You have a lot of sodium in it. Hmm. There is 115 milligrams of sodium, 5% of your daily value. Right. We got that, B-complex. We got electrolytes. We got aminos. We got green coffee bean extract, 180 milligrams. 
milligrams of green coffee bean extract. So you got your caffeine in there. So to me, this this strikes me, and you know, we we could probably go all day talking about this, but I think it was Adam Craig used to say that after a long race, the first thing he wanted in his hand was a Coca Cola. So you know, could we consider this a guilty pleasure or like you know a post ride treat for having done a good job in a race? I mean, or, yeah, these these cans are clearly not designed to be ingested while riding. So this this does fall fall into something of a different category from the rest of the things we're discussing here, which is you know on bike nutrition. I mean, this this can I guess you could put one in a back pocket, but it's not going to fit in a it's not going to fit in a uh, in a water bottle cage. That's for sure. Uh, it's a little bit too far too narrow. It's like I said, it's about the same size as a it's like a red like Bull a monster can. monster can. Monster well, let's can. just go through some of the things I'm seeing here yeah. to. To use as a, a idea or example uh, of issues or, or things to avoid. So number one, going to the ingredients list. Number one, carbonated water. Fine. I wouldn't want to drink carbonated water in a race. Number two, crystalline fructose. So their sugar is fructose, and we already talked about that, that you want primarily glucose. So that's an issue right there. Wait, what's erythritol? What is erythritol? That's the second thing. Erythritol is a long word that you put on the side of a can. <laughs> Hold on, we're going to Google this. Erythritol. I don't even see that on my... That's on the That's can. only in mine. Okay, that's I didn't not see that before. Well, that's, mine's got the 20. Mine's power 20. Yours is just power. That must okay. be the 20. I've got 20 erythritols. I, I'm going to let you look that one up. But here's some of the things. First of all, again, when we're talking fu- food versus fuel... Something I see a lot is products really saying, well, ours is better because it's all natural. So we have honey versus mixes of sugar. Honey is sugar. (laughs) Okay? It might be natural, but honey is sugar. It's got the same negative health effects if you eat it straight up. It's got the same benefits as as a sugar mix in a drink or a gel. And there's going to be a whole bunch of people that are going to attack me about that, but but I'm, I'm going to stand behind that one. I will tell you. In my nutrition world, the website that I edit, I'm, I'm part of one of the ultimate natural diets. And I'm going to be one of the first to say natural gets tossed on things to make it sound better when, it, when it's not. Another great example is people feel that, well, sodium's really bad for you, but sea salt is healthy. No, they're both sodium chloride. What's the difference? <laughs> they I both- found- I found out what erythritol is. Please, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt you, but uh, this is breaking breaking news. Breaking news. Um, you, you I'm, I'm, you're letting me get to my grouchiness. And you're <laughs> stopping me. You, oh, you go on. Erythritol is a sugar alcohol that has been approved for use as a food additive in the United States and throughout much of the world. Uh, it is a fake sugar. It's a sugar substitute. Okay. So it's got butane in it. Sugar alcohol or polyol. Well, butane, alcohol, like the stuff that's so you're, you're going to see butane in it. Yep, butane. Um, the industrial um, level, it is produced from glucose, glucose by fermentation with a yeast. So it's it's sweetener without calories is what they basically right. what they're saying. So anyway, I'm probably going to have a whole bunch of chemists chemists uh, call in on this one because it's been seven years since I've done organic chemistry, but I believe. And alcohol is defined as having a, a butyl ring, but I it's got butane in wrong. It. So we have we have the Wikipedia page: erythritol on human digestion uh, enters through the small intestine. Ten um, percent enters through the colon. Uh, does not normally cause laxative effects. That's, well, that's good. good. <laughs> <laughs> I want that in my drink. <laughs> anyway, let's let's continue with our discussion of these ingredients. So we we figured out what erythritol is. It's just a sweetener, right. uh, followed by crystalline fructose. In mine, your crystalline fructose is the second ingredient on yours here. So so let's look at some other things. Again, I'm seeing this red marine algae. I see the green coffee bean extract. I've seen a whole bunch of products that have things like this. And, and yeah, I will. It, for if my one of my athletes asked me, I'll dig into the science, and every once in a while you might see something in a study that it, it helps performance a little bit. But for the most part, I'm going to try to avoid that stuff unless there's a lot of science saying, yeah, this stuff is is beneficial. Mm. Um, another thing that you will see in a lot of products is they try to throw in tons of vitamins and minerals and amino acids because they're important for health. 
Yes, that's true. So, so this one has all the B vitamins. It has the amino acids. You do need those. And when you are vitamin B deficient, you are going to be fatigued. You're not going to be able to perform very well. But the argument I'm going to give is, to use an analogy, stretching helps recovery. But should you be stretching in the middle of a race? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> right. Uh, you're not going to pull over and do a ton of stretching. During a, an event, during a race, you want that simple product that your, your digestion can handle and worry about getting the, the health, the, your vitamins and minerals, worry about the health side after the event. Yeah, this goes back to our, our, our original discussion of the f- food versus fuel and sort of what you should be eating, you know, while riding and then with an hour on either end versus what you should be eating off right. the bike completely. Which, which I'd like to talk about before and after the ride because I've actually had some issues before uh, riding that I'd like to talk about. Laxative effects? The laxative effects. <laughs> That's <laughs> sort of a, co- a problem for me all the time. <laughs> Before we get there, let me cover one other because there's a lot of products out there now that are trying to put – they love to get the branched-chain amino acids into the, the product. They, they talk about, well, you, you need protein in your fuel during, uh, during an event. And as a matter of fact, uh, there was this product up in Canada that I had to bite my lip on a lot. But they actually – it was the ultimate marketing product ever. And they were, they were marketing it as an endurance performance drink mix and it was zero calories because they were saying well sugars are bad for you you don't want calories because calories are bad for you so here's an endurance product that actually has zero calories which why would you ever want that in a race (laughs) and they replaced all those carbohydrates with branch chains amino acids because that's what you need in an endurance event yeah, I, I wish uh, you could see Trevor's facial expression yeah, right, right, right. It what, killed me. How can we? It killed me. It's like Oscar the Grouch <laughs> combined with the Cookie Monster <laughs> when you just took his cookies away. Yeah. <laughs> but going to the amino acids, there were some studies back about 10, 15 years ago, maybe now, where they compared a sports drink that had a four to one ratio of carbohydrate to protein up against a straight carbohydrate drink mix. And you saw performance enhancement. Um, can't remember if it was performance enhancement or just a longer period of time before they fatigued in the athletes that drank the four to one mix. So that became really, really popular. There's a lot of products out there that use that four to one mix. I will admit, I drink Accelerate, which is a four to one mix. Um, I just really like the taste, which is half the battle. Which is half the. And there's actually yeah. there was a huge study on that that compared all the different sports drinks and their conclusion was the best sports drink is the one that you like <laughs> because if you like it you will drink it if you don't like it you will not drink it that's i think that's why a lot of people are big fans of scratch yeah. it's mm-hmm. really tasty it's really tasty yeah but everybody really landed on that research and said we need that four to one ratio finally somebody looked at the research and went they're not isocaloric meaning for the four to one drink they just took the carbohydrate drink and added protein to it so it had more calories. So they repeated the studies where they equalized the calories between the straight carbohydrate drink and the four to one drink, and all of a sudden, all the benefits of the four to one drink disappear. So you actually just needed more calories. You just needed more calories. <laughs> but that comes back to the, the careful balance between if you start putting too much stuff in your sports drink, and there are definitely sports drinks that do that, then you run into this osmosis, osmotic problems, pressure, osmotic pressure problem, right? <laughs> I know science. Hashtag science. <laughs> Let me science for a moment. <laughs> well, just remember, when you are going hard, the gut doesn't work as well, and you don't want to be drawing fluid out of your blood. So really, I'm going to keep saying this. The best products are the ones that are simplest and have just what you need, which is some sugars in a good ratio of glucose to fructose and some electrolytes and not tons of electrolytes. There is an argument, super hot day, if you're doing an Ironman, yeah, you need more electrolytes. But for most of us, no, you don't need tons of of electrolytes. Anything beyond that, probably not going to help your performance. It's going to put a greater strain on your gut, and it might put a greater strain on the osmotic pressure. Why would you want to do that to yourself? So I think what Trevor's saying is you should really carry Coors Light with you at all times. Yep. But dissolve gummy bears in it first. That's exactly right. I managed a cycling team, and I will tell you this. If if we ever showed up to a race and we didn't have flat Coke 
for the last hour of the race, I would have got Coca-Cola, not, not right. Coca-Cola. Guy. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> we're not doing lines in the bike race. <laughs> well, that, unmarked packages, maybe. But, um, I actually loved it. I in one of my my sports nutrition classes back when I was racing full time. I was the only endurance athlete in the class. Everybody else was very interested in this, but they weren't actually athletes. And they got obsessed with um, gastric distress. It was only a good product if it didn't cause gastric distress. And so we were talking about what do you need on uh, in a in a bike race. And the people in the class were coming up with these crazy things. You go, well, yes, that that makes sense if you read the science, but in practice, no, that's that's a, you'd never do that. Finally, the teacher looked at me and just said, well, Trevor, you are a, a professional cyclist. What do you have at the end of a race? I just went, you honestly want to know? And he goes, yeah. I go, flat Coke, Coca-Cola. Yep. Whole class flipped out. No, you'd never do that. That would cause gastric distress. That's, that's crazy talk. <laughs> and I just looked at them and went, you're four hours into a race. You're dying. You're looking at a category one climb to the finish. All you're trying to do is suffer to the top of that race. Do you really care if you're a little gassy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will say that uh, I had a I had a can of Coke save my ass last time I did Leadville. Yeah. Got a can of Coke about ten minutes before power line, which is about probably an hour, hour and a half from the end of the race itself. And I was I was probably not going to make it up power line without that can of Coke. And I ended up, you know. Finishing pretty well. That's that's what they were handing out at the Pinarello Grand Fonda. You get yeah. you get to an aid station. It's these these grandmothers handing out orange slices and Pepsi. And I was like, you are my hero. <laughs> this is exactly. What I, I mean, needed. this you know this comes back to to what we were talking about earlier, which is you know you can replace a lot of these fancy you can replace a lot of these fancy you know energy chews and energy drinks with much cheaper you know sort of generic options. Yes, maybe you don't get a hundred percent of the same benefits. But you can get most of the way there. And sometimes if it's tastier, I mean, that's a big thing for Coke for me is like five hours into Leadville. That's really all I wanted was was a Coke. Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's quick. It's easy. And then you, and and then you down the whole thing and you're yeah. better off, right? Yeah. Uh, if, we could switch to, um, if we could switch to something that I am a, a champion endurance athlete in, and that's eating off the bike. Hmm. Uh, like I said, I, I've had issues with fueling up before a ride. And the problem that I have is despite it doesn't seem to matter what food I eat before a ride, I always get that stomach stitch about 30 minutes into the ride. So what's going on there? What should I eat before a ride and what should I eat immediately after a long ride? Now, is this in all events or is it ones that start hard? We're talking about performance. So we'll say racing, a racing situation. I'm not sure. This is mostly going to be guessing because I'm not sure exactly what causes that that stitch that people get. I used to get those. Fortunately, I don't get them anymore, and I've never understood why. Um, I think some of that, my, my guess at that is it's what I was talking about, is blood is being shunted away from your gut, but your gut still has a lot of food that it needs to process in it, and that causes you uh, pain and distress. You don't actually have pain sensors in your gut. They connect to the pain sensors on your skin. And that's why when your gut is in pain, you feel it on the surface. That's why you get those stitches. So before a race, a couple, so that's one really important thing to know is if you put a ton of food in and then the race starts really hard and your gut shuts down, yeah, that's, that's going to cause you issues. So you might want to avoid eating the hour before an event. Another reason you want to be careful about eating before an event is what we were talking about before, is the two different ways that you can get those GLUT4 transporters to the surface of your cells to get your, your cells to absorb sugar. If you eat before a race, you're going to get a, an increase in insulin. Your insulin levels are going to go up, and that's going to promote your cells to take up sugar. Then if you start exercising, you're going to get a double whammy. That's also going to promote GLUT4. And you can get what's called reactive hypoglycemia. All of a sudden, the floodgates have been opened. All the blood sugar is being pulled out of your blood, and your blood sugar levels drop. And then you get lightheaded. Then you feel like your energy goes away, and suddenly you're out of the race 15 minutes in. What about uh, after the ride? 
when I get off the bike? How for, should I be devouring something the way Sagan did immediately after I get off the bike? Should I be waiting or uh, yes? And what should I be eating? So remember, because you are exercising, you still have all those GLUT4 transporters at the surface of your cells. Your cells are very primed to take in sugars. You want to restock your glycogen. That is an optimal time to do it. So right after exercise, you want to take in some more simple sugars. So basically what I do is whatever's in my pocket, I just wolf it down because the nutrition that's right for racing is also the nutrition that's right 15 minutes for the 15 minutes right after racing. Which is why Sagan ate all the gummy bears. Right. So and you, I, I crave a gel immediately after I get off the bike. Yep. It's, yeah. it's strange. Yeah. What about adding a bit of protein? How, so, how soon should you add protein in, in that recovery phase? My general recommendation is in that first in the first 15 minutes, wolf down a bunch of sugar. After you've had that hit of sugar immediately after exercise, I'd say about 15, 20 minutes afterwards is where I'm going to try to have something that has both sugar and protein in it to, to help with tissue repair. And it's actually really critical to make sure now you're getting the electrolytes. Replenishing your electrolytes after exercise is actually more important than during exercise. And I won't go into the science, but that's also going to help your body rehydrate. So that becomes critical. So that's where a smoothie will help. That's where one of these recovery drink mixes can really help. Some people just like chocolate milk, but something that's got that mix of, of carbohydrates, protein, and electrolytes. Once you start getting an hour away from exercise, that's where you just go back to eating a healthy diet. So before we taste test a few of these products, let's check back one more time with what Dr. Sims had to say about what you should be eating during endurance sports. And then the foods that you eat will also impact how the fluid is absorbed. So you want to not contribute to kind of uh, GI distress or reverse water flux by not ingesting maltodextrin and not ingesting fructose. Definitely don't want to do liquid calorie concentrates of those, which would be gels or liquid shots of kind. Um, and then I'm always on the adage of if you're using real food, uh, you can really tailor your nutrition to who you are, what your training history is, what environment you're getting ready to get training in or race in. If it's altitude, if it's hot, if it's low intensity, if it's high intensity, if it's short duration, if it's high duration. So all these things you can tailor with your food and fueling I think that the two biggest things, if people would change just two things, they would have so much more uh, out of their training and racing. And first thing is eliminating gels and things that have the maltodextrin and fructose base. And then the second thing would be eliminating sodium chloride tablets. Well... Bottoms up, boys. Let's uh, let's all test the gel. Everybody, open your open your. So gel. yeah, to, to to finish off today's episode, uh, Dan has handed us each a gel. I have a honey stinger, vanilla. What do you, what do you have, Dan? I have the science and sport tropical flavor. Go energy. What about you, Trevor? I have amped fuel apple that says what the other ingredients are, but nowhere does it list the primary ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> all right, my honey stinger contains. Organic tapioca syrup, organic honey, water, potassium, vanilla, citric acid, sodium chloride. I have that. It's pretty exciting. I have some of those. I have maltodextrin too. All right, too. let's 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 down. This All right, stuff so in, it is. in one word, when you finish, just one word description of your experience with this gel. Okay. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm. Kaylee, go. That's actually pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, good job, Honey Stinger. It's not gross. <laughs> Trevor? Trevor's making his uh, Oscar the Grudge face again. <laughs> I can feel the apple. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel the apple. <laughs> you made that sound really creepy. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, these things are really not good off the bike. No, <laughs> but no. this one's actually, mine's not bad. Mine's not bad, I will say. Yeah. The uh, science and sport, I uh, I give it a medium bueno. A medium bueno? A medium bueno. It's not bad. I wouldn't want to just eat it. but So that's know. the one that's kind of like liquidy, right? Yeah, yeah. It's got kind of a Osmotic pressure optimized. Yeah, yeah. It's It says it right on there. No need for water ever. You don't ever have to drink water again. <laughs> okay. Well, that was another episode of Fast Talk. 
As always, we love your feedback. You can email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. You can subscribe to Fast Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And be sure to leave us a rating and a comment while you're there. Also, while you're there, check out our sister podcast, The Velenews Podcast, which covers news about the week in cycling. You can hear me. Actually, yeah, I'm the only one in this room that's on that one. You can hear me share my thoughts (laughs) during that podcast as well. Become a fan of Fast Talk on Facebook at facebook.com slash velonews and on Twitter at twitter.com slash velonews. Also, exciting news. We now have Trevor on Twitter. So you can follow Trevor on Twitter at at coach underscore T Connor. That's T-C-O-N-N-O-R. You should all follow Trevor on Twitter. He doesn't really know how to use it, but we're working on it. (laughs) (laughs) Fast Talk is produced by Velonews, which is owned by Competitor Group. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. For Trevor Connor and Dan Cavallari, I am Kaylee Fritz. Thank you for listening. Cue music.